have a Bible, open up with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, going to be verses 1 through 7 this morning. We've already had a joyous morning of worship, and what a blessing it is to get to turn our attention now uh, to the Word of God. Um, as you're opening there, let me just say a word of, of gratitude to each of you for uh, praying for Whitney and I as we traveled this week to the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, God was so faithful to us there. I, I plan to, Lord willing, write to you this week a little bit about uh, how I felt like things went, so no, we'll uh, uh, address that this week, Lord willing. I'll send you an email uh, to let you know. So uh, nonetheless, uh, thank you so much for uh, your prayers for us and for all these students and children who were at camp this week. If you have your Bibles open there to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O Lord our God, would you please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word, and God, I pray that we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over the weekend, all across the country, over 10,000 flights were delayed and over 2,500 flights were canceled, leaving thousands of Americans stranded in airports across the country. What follows is one of their stories. Late Thursday night on my way home from Los Angeles International Airport, uh, I boarded my flight. They had been delayed already nearly an hour. I was there at Chicago Midway Airport, and we began to taxi the runway. So hopeful, so excited. We're moving. And as we begin to move, we hear all the things. We do our safety things, all these things. We've been waiting on a, on a pilot, and so to have a pilot, we're about to take off. In fact, we even hear the announcement. I, even at this moment, begin to sigh, just breathe a little sigh of relief. Flight, whatever, you're cleared for takeoff. And I thought, this is it. There's no turning back. We're about to be in the air. And about that time, just a few moments later, it was about 11.41, 11.42 at night, the captain's voice came over the loudspeaker after they told us we were cleared for takeoff. Unfortunately, folks, we've got to head back to the gate. Uh, I timed out at 11.39. I had to be wheels up by 11.39 to be able to fly this flight to Birmingham, but my flights are now ended for the day, and we're going to work as hard as we can to get you a pilot to be able to fly you to Birmingham uh, tonight. We're going to try our best to find another pilot. We'll let you know. Went back to the gate, waited, you know, 
and uh, get there and waited for an hour on the plane. And then before they could even say anything, I got a text from the airline. Your flight has been canceled and is rescheduled for 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. So it's 1.30 in the morning at this point. So there I went with my little neck pillow uh, that I'd brought. Man, I mean, I wrestled with bringing that thing. What a great decision. A uh, great decision that was. And uh, just, just, um, uh, just a few days before on Sunday, Whitney and I were in the Birmingham airport. We'd flown separately, and um, she was there, and she saw somebody laying in the airport floor. And she said, it just kind of makes me sick to my stomach to see somebody laying in the airport floor. And so I was laying there in the airport floor and thought, if only my wife could see me now. <laughs> We'd both be sick in our stomach. And so there I was, uh, trying my best to sleep for a couple of hours. Thankfully, the next morning, got up, got on the airplane, got home, and uh, was able to get back uh, to Gadsden. I will say this. I know you're going to roll your eyes at me, but I, I'm going to tell you, I, I used to bounce back from staying up all night a lot better than I do now. I mean, I've been absolutely worthless all weekend. It's one night of sleep, you know, that is just like normal in college, but now, man, a lot. I've been struggling just to... I know you all said you were praying for me. But as I was lying there in the Midway Airport, counting the crumbs next to me on the floor, I thought, I don't think they prayed very hard at all. I don't believe them. I don't, I don't think they did. I don't think they're even thinking about me right now. I don't think they prayed one time. I think they said it and didn't pray. That's what I think happened. This is why we think about God. This is why we take time to preach about God, to think about God, to read about God, to learn about God. Because in our highest moments, in our lowest moments, in those moments in between when you're lying in the middle of the night on the floor in an airport, we want our lives to be framed by who God is and what God has done. We want God to sustain us in those moments. What keeps us the middle of the night in the airport from losing our temper with an employee of an airline. I'm not sure. I still don't know. No, I'm just kidding. No. What keeps us from that? What, what, what does that? I tried to pray that night and just think about when it. When I realized the night was going off the rails, not what I wanted it to be. I, I, I really did. I prayed, and this is only by God's grace. I just said, God, I want to be home. To be home. Whitney was waiting on me in the airport, and so she had to drive home by herself. I was ready to be home. I wanted to go home, get to bed, go to sleep. I said, God, I want to be home, but you are sovereign and you are good. And I trust you, even in the floor of this airport, that you mean this for good. Even just right here in just it's a terrible situation. I hate it. But God, you mean it for good. Now that's a small thing, right? But I think oftentimes the small things are test cases for the larger things. And I think the even smaller things than this that give us a bad attitude or make us not trust God. Any time you sin, you know what you're doing. You've ceased to trust God. You can't sin in faith. You can't sin while trusting God. I say all this to say this. Laying here on the floor of the airport, I had to think about what I believe about God. What I believe about who God is. I remember telling myself this for years since I was in seminary. If God is sovereign, there's no such thing as hassle. If God is who God says God is, everything that happens to me, every circumstance I find myself in, even the ones I don't like, even the ones I like the least, it means that somehow or another, God means this for my good. 
Theology is eminently practical. There is no theoretical theology. Everything you know about God, everything you learn about God, everything you grow in, in your knowledge of God, is of utmost importance. This week, as we continue in a very theological series on what it means for God to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this week we turn our attention again to the glory of the works of our triune God. And we recognize that the Godhead, God Himself, is at work to save us. But nonetheless, the Bible, as theologians say, appropriates certain aspects of the work of salvation to certain persons of the Trinity in order to help us understand both their personhood and the work of salvation better. That is, as the Scripture begins to tell us about what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like and what God is doing in the world, oftentimes, though, all of the works of God are done by God as a whole. Nonetheless, oftentimes there will be appropriations of certain works to a certain member of the Trinity. Oftentimes creation or inspiration or this breathing out of Scripture to God the Father and, of course, certain works to the Son and certain works to the Spirit. We've thought a lot about the fact that the Lord is one God. And then we've tried to understand the triune distinction of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as they're distinct in their personalities and their works within the Godhead. Last week, we considered the way that God is His own ultimate end, the way God has perfect delight in God. But this week, we turn our attention to the external works of God in the way that even what God does outside Himself, the the works of God proper as we would understand them, are shaped in a Trinitarian way. The two major works of God that we see in the Scripture are these two things. First of all, creation. Right? It's the first and primary external work of God. He spoke the world into existence. And the second major work of God that we see is salvation. Today I want us to turn our attention to the work of God in salvation, and we want to see the way that this work is shaped by the Trinitarian nature of God. As we consider the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and God's external works, this morning I want us to look at salvation as a test case to understand the way that the triune God works in concert to bring about His will to save sinners like us. This morning I want to show you three truths about the gospel of God which was secured for us by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three truths this morning. Here's the first one. The Father purposed our salvation. The Father purposed our salvation. You'll remember this quote we've come back to very often. The work of God happens from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. So you can see the way your salvation is from the Father. The Father purposed your salvation. Notice how Paul opens this magnum opus of his, this letter to the Romans. Perhaps some would argue the most complete theology that Paul presents in the New Testament. Here he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? For the gospel of God. He begins to define this gospel of God, the way that God is at work through the gospel for our salvation, set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. Do you see this? 
how do we see the Father's originating work here in the gospel? Here's the first thing we see. We see the sovereign design of God, the decree of God, so to speak. Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, and he's called to be an apostle, and he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. This is a reminder that Paul is giving to the Romans and to us that the gospel was not God's plan B. God gave us the gospel first. This is his whole design was to reveal himself to us through the gospel. Here we see the sovereign design of God. Paul says he was set apart for the gospel of God. That means then that Paul was set apart, I would argue, and we see elsewhere in Scripture, he was set apart before he was even born. Before he ever came into the world, God set him apart for these things. We see that he says God promised these things beforehand. And so we see here the way that God's works, or the Father's works, his external works, those works we can see, correspond to that which is hidden about God, that which he works within himself. That is that the Father begets the Son and with the Son breathes out the Holy Spirit. He, he is defined by paternity. He is the one who things come from. His originating work. We see this in the way that the Bible also talks about creation. You can look back and see the way salvation sort of follows some of the same patterns of creation. God spoke in the beginning, let us make man in our image as his spirit hovered over the face of the earth. And there also, I believe, in the earliest chapters of the Bible, we see the way that the work of God is happening from the Father and through the Son and by the Spirit. That's how God works. That's what God does. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to find yourself encouraged and strengthened by the knowledge that God purposed to save you. But you can also be encouraged by the fact that God has spoken. Notice something Paul says here. He says he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his prophets, where? In the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. We also see the way that God has spoken through his Holy Word. The way that God purposed salvation by speaking it through his word there this the 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 bible becomes an instrument of god's saving work because he spoke it much like he spoke the world into existence the father also spoke his word out through the son the bible calls it the word of christ and by the spirit that's why the bible calls it inspired because it was breathed out by the holy spirit salvation my friends is spoken by god it's purposed by God, and it comes directly from the heart of the Father. I think sometimes we misappropriate, misunderstand the Father. I think we so often simply associate the Father with the God of the Old Testament, and we misunderstand the way God is revealed in the Old Testament. Oftentimes we see Him as harsh. We see Him as eager to mete out wrath. We see Him as eager to punish, eager to be angry with others. But my friends, I want you to know something. I don't want you for a moment. I think sometimes we think that, that Jesus is like the young, hip son who comes along to the Father and says, listen, listen, Father, you're just kind of too tough on these folks. We need to love them better. Just send me down there and I'll take No, no, no. No, no. The Father doesn't begrudgingly save us. The, the, the Father didn't need to be talked into 
saving us. Jesus didn't go and say, listen, Father, I'll arm wrestle you for the opportunity to go say, no, 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 this your salvation, our salvation comes from the very heart of God. He purposed it. He promised these things beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. He set He set Paul apart for the gospel of God, and he prophesied these things according to his Son, who he sent as a symbol of his love, and to be his love manifest in the flesh, in order that we might be saved. Don't for a moment think that the Father begrudgingly saves us. Instead, rest in the sovereignty of God the Father, who promised salvation long ago. He promised salvation long ago. He purposed salvation. And guess what? He brought it to fruition. He made sure that it happened. The Bible says that when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. He's different than us, isn't he? Who in here has ever made plans? Come on. All right. I want to, I want to do this. I know usually I kind of... She's like, yeah, all right. Whoever here, who here has ever made plans they didn't keep? Every hand, right? Yeah, of course. God never makes plans he doesn't keep. Isn't that amazing? I bet there have been plans you've wanted to keep, and you just forgot about it. Good plans. This is why I don't journal. Man, I love the idea of journaling. Don't you love that idea? You know what I do? Two, three years later, I find three entries in a notebook. And I say, I remember that journal. What a good idea I had. Maybe I'll start today. So, you know, the first one's uh, January 3rd, 2017. Then you got February 2017, and then the next one's 2022, you know? And that's just how things work sometimes. How am I supposed to keep up with this journal? Where do I even put it every day, you know, to come back to it? I don't know. No, we make plans and don't follow through, but God doesn't do that. He's different than us. We have to rest in God's sovereignty because He promised salvation and He brought it through fruition. And you think about the fact that way off in eternity past, before time as we know it even existed, God purposed to save sinners. And look, look around, look around you. Here we are. God brought His promises to fruition. And some of you may be laying your head down on your bed at night and wondering whether God, whether or not God's really going to keep you to the end. And my friends, if God can do what He said He would do, Thousands and thousands of years ago, don't you think he who is faithful is good for his promises today? Certainly he is. Delight, my friends, in the benevolence of the Father who revealed salvation to us by speaking through the Word. Allow these beautiful truths to transform your heart and ignite your worship and see the way that the gospel of God was purposed by God the Father. But second of all, recognize this. The Son secured your salvation. The Son secured your salvation. Not only does the Bible appropriate certain of God's works, united works, to certain members of the Trinity, but on top of that, the Bible describes certain missions that two persons of the Trinity in particular went on. First was the Son. It was the particular mission of being incarnate and securing our salvation. Notice what Paul says. It says he's in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. His promise that the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. This gospel of God is impossible unless it's centered on the son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
This is the mission of the Son. He has a unique role in securing our salvation. How did He do it? He did it through His life. The Bible says He was descended from David according to the flesh. This is a beautiful picture of the incarnation in the way that according to the Holy Scriptures, which God had promised beforehand concerning His Son, Jesus fulfilled those Scriptures and those promises by being descended from David according to the flesh, having become the rightful heir by right of this descent of Israel's throne. He's descended from David according to the flesh. He was God incarnate. And in verse 4 we see that He was raised from the dead. And so implied here is that part of what it meant for the Son to secure this salvation according to the gospel of God was He had to die on the cross. And theologically now as we go throughout the Scriptures, we recognize and we learn and we see the way that His death was an atoning sacrifice for sin whereby He took the wrath of God on Himself that we deserved in order that we might receive His righteousness in full. And notice what the Bible says. He didn't stay in death. But according to the spirit of holiness, he was declared to be the son of God in power. Father working and showing his power according to the spirit of holiness. By the spirit, what does the Bible say? It was by his resurrection of the dead that he was proved to be the son of God. Do you see this? Do you see this little note here? Note that the father sent the son into the world to save sinners according to his purpose. And this salvation was secured through the work of the Son. And notice the fact that this salvation was ultimately applied. Because it's one thing to die an atoning death for sinners, but it's another thing altogether to then be raised from the dead in power by the Spirit of holiness. Do you see, even in the work of Christ, you see, even in the work of Christ, the way that God is at work, all three persons of the Trinity are at work, even in that which the Son is securing, it is the Father who is raising the Son up by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of God's works are Trinitarian in their shape. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Even the Easter message. Do you see the beauty of of what the Son did for us, what the Father purposed, the Son secured. He actually came into the world. He actually took on flesh. He actually took on the wrath of God. He actually became sin on your behalf. He actually was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the beauty of this? Do you see what Jesus has done? And you may say, does God really love me? Just last week, I got to talk to our VBS kids about this. And I bet you struggle with some of the same things little children do. You may sometimes sit there and think and ask yourself, does God really love me? I know we talk about God's love all the time. It's one thing to talk about love. It's another thing to experience love. How can I know? I mean, sure, the Father purpose my salvation. It's not plan B, et cetera, et cetera. How do I really know? Place your hand in the nail-scarred hands, my friends. Look to Jesus who died for you. If you want proof positive of the love of God, see the fact that the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, fully God of fully God, perfect, who, who dwelled eternally in an approachable light, stepped into the world and became flesh on your behalf and, and, and died the death that you deserve in order that you might live the life that He deserved as a son of the living God. 
What a beautiful truth this is. Do you see what the son did? The gospel of God was secured by the son. But finally, I want you to see this. Not only did the father purpose our salvation, and not only did the son secure our salvation, but finally, the spirit applies our salvation. The spirit applies our salvation. Don't forget verse 4. Don't forget what Paul says in verse 4. He says, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was a spirit. Again, this, the gospel happened from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. But then we see, he goes on, he says, through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things, after verse 4, show that after the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit is now at work to apply the gospel to our hearts. Now, it's not necessarily explicitly described here, but I, I want you to notice the way that the rest of the book of Romans sort of fleshes this idea out. In fact, the, the sort of pinnacle of this argument that Paul introduces in Romans chapter 1 sort of ends in Romans chapter 8, which is probably the section of the Bible that deals with the Holy Spirit, maybe more than any other. If not, it's one of the most prominent books where the Holy Spirit is most prominent. We often miss that about Romans 8 because it so clearly and beautifully articulates the gospel. But if you go read Romans 8, I mean, you can't, you can't move in Romans 8 without bumping into the Holy Spirit. He's all over the place. In Romans 8, Paul says that through Christ we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. The Holy Spirit makes these things possible. The Holy Spirit raises up uh, apostles. The Holy Spirit applies grace to our hearts. Obedience of faith is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. The name of God is glorified among the nations because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ are kept in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints, Paul wishes upon them, he blesses them with grace to them and peace to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this Trinitarian shape of this. Romans 8, 1, and 4, 1 through 4 gives helpful clarification of how the Holy Spirit applies the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? This is the grace that's been given to us by Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So in other words, the gospel of the Son has secured this, but now we walk not according to the flesh, the Bible says, but according to the Spirit. This is a way that this gospel, this gospel hope has been applied to us by the Spirit. And Paul says, I want you to have grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know, I believe, that the Spirit is breathed out by the Father and the Son. And so here I think the work of the Spirit is implied by the Apostle Paul. And I want to give you evidence why I think that's the case. Let me ask you this. What grace do we have from the Father and the Son? What grace have we received in the Gospel? Notice how Paul articulates this grace in Romans chapter 8. 
verses 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received what? The spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, the Father purposed to adopt you into His family by sending His Son into the world to die on your behalf. And this adoption into the family of God, we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. We are able to be brothers with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are invited into the family because why? We have received His Spirit. What grace we've been given by God. And that grace is applied in our lives and hearts by the Holy Spirit. And what peace do we have from the Father and the Son? What peace have we been given in a world full of troubles? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28, it's one thing to know the gospel's true. It's another thing to experience it. Notice what Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, does that not sound like you don't have peace? But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's what the Spirit's doing. He's bringing us peace. And then one of the most peaceful and beautiful verses in the world is what the Spirit speaks in our hearts. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. My friends, we can't feel, we can't experience the peace of God that the truth of the gospel gives us without the Holy Spirit applying it in our lives and in our hearts. Grace and peace from the Father and the Son happens by the Spirit. Do you see the way your salvation was wrought from the Father and through the Son and by the Spirit? Oh, I hope you can see the way that the Father has purposed and the Son has secured and the Spirit is applying your salvation. I, I hope you can see the beauty of it. And I hope every single moment of your life, moments at the nursery to see a newborn baby and moments at the hospital bed and moments at the altar and moments in the chemo ward and the greatest joys and the deepest griefs all of your life, I hope, will be shaped by the gospel of our triune God who is at work even now to save you by His grace. We lie our heads on our pillow. We're on an airport floor. We're on a bed soaked with tears. Or one day when we close our eyes for the last time, I pray that all of us will be able to pray, O oh God, our Father, thank You for the grace and the love that You have given me through Your purpose and Your gospel, which You secured by Your Son, which is applied by Your Spirit. Amen. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never believed this gospel of God, today, this very day, you are welcomed into the life of the triune God by grace through faith. Jesus came and secured salvation for you. God desires for you to be saved, and the Spirit will apply it even now. If you would respond to God by repenting of your sins, turning from your sins in repentance, and turning to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. If you need someone to talk with you or pray with you or counsel, 
with you about this. I'll be available here in just a moment. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I just need a few moments to pray. Pray right where you are. If you need someone to talk to, you know where I'll be, right down front. Or if you just want to pray at the altar that's open to you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me today to welcome you and tell you what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to respond to the Lord in faith. Let's pray together.